Thank you for listening to a message from the Bowden Church of Christ. For more information, visit www.bowdenchurchofchrist.com. That's www.bowdenchurchofchrist.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Bowden Church of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing to you and helps you to serve God and find satisfaction in Him alone. And now, our speaker. Good evening and welcome to the Bowden Church of Christ. My name is Josh Posey and I am the preacher here at this congregation. So glad that you've decided to join us tonight on our virtual Wednesday night Bible study. I hope that you will take your Bibles, open up here to our passage, 1 John chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. 1 John chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. If you're a part of the Bowden congregation, uh, I want you to know that we all need to be praying that this ends soon because I'm ready to see all of y'all. I'm ready for us to be back worshiping together Uh, in a very safe way. And so uh, be praying for that. Also be praying for our number who are sick. Uh, You know, we've been sending out texts to everybody. If you don't get those, please contact me and I will get you that information as soon as I can. So uh, take your Bibles, 1 John chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. When you look around in the world, it's easy to see that there needs to be more compassion in the world. There need to be more people that display the mirroring life of the Savior, that they try to do exactly as Jesus did to walk in His footsteps, to live the way Jesus has asked us to live. This world is oftentimes filled with great darkness, and because of that, Christians need to be a light, as Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5. We need to be a light to the world around us so that we can show them the way to the cross and bring glory to God in doing that. Compassion is necessary. You know, even right now, like in times of uh, tragedy, in times of crisis, you know, people are dying very frequently, and uh, the numbers for the COVID-19 is getting worse. They're getting worse. And so we need to be praying for the people that are going through this. But one of the really neat things that I see right now is that there's a lot of compassion in the world. A lot of times we see a lot more compassion when a nation begins to experience a crisis. Many of you will remember of the great acts of compassion we saw when 9-11 took place. And in this crisis, which is very different, we are still seeing compassion. Compassion from God's people. Compassion that uh, Jesus has asked us to show. Tonight we're not talking necessarily about the need of compassion because I believe all of us know that the world needs compassion. Even in times like this, we need more compassion. Rather, what we're going to look at in 1 John chapter 3 is not the need for compassion, but the blessings of compassion. The Bible actually tells us that when we are compassionate people, there are strong blessings that come our way that we should consider. Two of them we're going to look at tonight from 1 John chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. Before we dive into those verses, though, I want to remind you of exactly what John has just said before we get into this text. In verse 16, he says this, "...by this we know love, that He laid down His life for us," speaking of Jesus, "...and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers." 
If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? John, in these two verses that we're not going to get a lot of detail into here, tells us that we as Christians need to show the compassionate love that God has already shown us, in that He laid down His life for us. Think about the great sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. And so in verse 17 he says, If we see our brother in need, which is a comparison to God looking down on man, seeing man in need. They needed their sins taken away. If we see our brother in need, it's not the same kind of need. It's a different need. Sometimes we see brethren who are in sin and they need their sins taken away and we need to talk to them. But we see our our brother in need and we do nothing. He says here in verse 17, we close our heart against him. Imagine what would have been, what the world would be like today if God would have closed his heart against us and not sent Jesus. If Jesus would have closed his heart against us and not gone to Calvary. If we see our brother in need and we close our heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? It's a rhetorical question with the answer, God's love cannot abide in the person who turns away from his brother who is in deep need. We know that because God's love displayed itself when we were in great need, Jesus died for us. And so with that idea of Christian compassion, of meeting the needs of others, of caring for people, John begins in verse 18 by saying this, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. John summarizes what he's just said in verses 16 and 17, that as Christians we need to have love for others, but he qualifies that love. He tells us what kind of love that needs to be by giving us a negative Let us not love, he says here, in word or talk. Let us not love in word and talk, but let us love in deed and in truth. Now it's important for us to understand John's not condemning verbal expressions of love or words of affection. What he's saying is, let us not love in word only. Let us not love in tongue alone or talk alone. Don't just say it, he's saying, back up what you say with your actions. The meaning we can see of this verse is also seen in Matthew 23 and verse 3, when it said, So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach and do not practice. It is the New King James that that says, They say and do not do. A great illustration of what it means to love in word and tongue alone is found in James chapter 2. James chapter 2 verses 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, some translations just say naked. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that. It's a display here in James chapter 2 of loving just in word and in in tongue. The person comes up to somebody who's truly in need and they say, oh, look at you. Go in peace, be warm and filled. But they don't do anything to help them. That is, they speak, but they don't act. He says, what good is that? I believe it's the New King James that says, what does it profit? Does it bring any profit to the person's life? Unfortunately, there are many people in the world today that are masters about They're masters about talking about a need for so long that eventually the need goes away or somebody else does it. 
And we can be guilty of this in the church. We talk and we talk and we talk and we talk about, needs to, about what needs to get done. And we talk about it so long that nothing ever gets done. John tells us that love that is in tongue is just talk. But love that is in deed is always active. A scholar that I read about this passage said this. He says that the mere expressions of care without the outward manifestation of action is mere noise and therefore worthless. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We need to make sure that we are loving not just in tongue, but in deed. And that has an application, for instance, in our prayers. I remember hearing Brother Cliff Goodwin say this one time. When we talk about needs in the church, oftentimes we'll say, oh, we need to add brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so to the list. We need to be praying for them or we need to be praying for this issue that's going on. But that's really all we ever do. We, all we ever do is pray about it. Brother Cliff Goodwin said that it's important we need to put legs on our prayers. I think I've shared this with you before. We need to put legs on our prayers. Love involves more than just word. It, it calls for us to be sacrificial in our actions. And that's exactly what John is saying here. He's saying we don't need to just be people who love in what we say. We need to always back up what we say with what we do. We don't need to just talk about things. We need to get to work. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 says that as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And we know, we know the, the common phrases we use. Actions speak louder than words. All is a product of love. The bottom line is this. One of the most distinguishing marks of Christianity is this. A love that originates from God and displays itself in actions. Not just words, but in actions. And that's what Christian compassion is. It's more than talk. Christian compassion is like Jesus looking on the multitudes and having compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd, and He went to them. He taught them. In cases other, other than that, He fed them. God always backs up what He says with what He does, and we as Christians should do the same. And so, John is about to introduce us to two great blessings we have when we do this. When we walk out our faith, when we live it in everyday life, when we are active people who actively show the compassion of Jesus, there are two great blessings that come our way. So in this crisis, as you're striving to show compassion, remember that there are blessings, two of them we're going to look at, that come with Christian compassion. They are this. These two blessings are assurance and answered prayers. Let's begin with the first one, answered, or rather assurance. The first one is assurance. 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 to 20. John says this, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. I've always found it interesting that when we study the Bible, all the words are important, especially this little phrase at the beginning, by this. When you see this phrase, by this, it tells you two things. First, you need to remember what you just read because what you just read is going to result into what you're about to read. So by what you've read, this is going to be true. And that's what happens. By loving in deed and in truth, he says, we can know that we are of the truth. Our actions give us assurance that we are children of God. 
Verse 18 says, we can know that we are of the truth if we've loved the brethren in deed and in truth. Now, being of the truth means that I am born of the truth. I am born of God. I am a child of God. I'm a Christian. This is what Jesus says about being of the truth. John 18 and verse 37, Pilate asked him, Are you a king? Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world. What's the purpose, Jesus? To bear witness to the truth. Notice his next phrase. Everyone who hears, who is of the truth, listens to my voice. Listens to my voice. How do I know that I'm of the truth? By listening to the voice of Jesus. And when I listen to the voice of Jesus in obedience, I obey Him and I know that I'm of the truth. Knowing that I'm of the truth is the knowledge of obedience to God. And that, he says, assures my heart. Assures my heart. Has your heart ever made you feel guilty? Has your heart ever felt not assured? Bob Winton, which is a commentator that I use when I study often, said this about 1 John 3 and verse 19. He says, The knowledge that we're in a right relationship with God, that is the knowledge that I am of the truth, which is a result of my actions, 1 John 3, 18, the knowledge that I am of the truth, that I'm in a right relationship with God, has a soothing effect on my soul. We live with a measure of confidence that is unattainable, by any other means. When I know that I'm saved, it gives me a confidence that I cannot get anywhere else. Isaiah 32 puts it this way. The effect of righteousness. Isaiah, what's the effect of righteousness? Peace. The result of righteousness. What is the result of righteousness? Quietness and trust forever. I can know that I'm of the truth and my heart can be confident before God. It can be assured before God when I'm obedient to the truth. But it's in verse 20 that he adds another dimension to this because he says that we can know we're of the truth and assure our hearts. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. You know, my heart can often condemn me for doing wrong. We call that the conscience, right? The conscience can tell me that I'm not doing something I'm supposed to, and sometimes the conscience, the, the conscience is a good thing to listen to. However, on the other hand, the conscience can oftentimes lead me in the wrong direction. Romans chapter 2 puts it this way, verses 14 and 15, talking to the Gentiles that their hearts could either accuse them or excuse them. Their hearts could either accuse them or excuse them. Sometimes my heart, my conscience tells me that I'm doing wrong. You ever had your conscience bothered by something? You did something you weren't supposed to, and so your conscience began to bother you and you just couldn't get it off your mind? Our heart can do that. Our conscience can do that. But on the other hand, our conscience, when we do something wrong, it can excuse us. Oh, there's nothing you've done wrong here. When our conscience is seared, you're doing right, no problem, no reason to feel guilty. Our heart can do both of those things. And the problem is that we as God-fearing people, we want assurance. What we just talked about in verse 19, we want to know that we're serving God. We want to be confident in that. But if we begin to listen to our heart, if we begin to just follow our conscience, it may be accurate or it may not be accurate. 
That is, if I have an ignorant or hard heart, I could feel safe and secure but still be in sin against God. Let me give you an example. Saul of Tarsus was an honest man. And when he was killing Christians, he said in Acts 23 and verse 1, looking back on his life, I look uh, and looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up till this day. He looked back on that and he said, You know what? I thought I was doing what's right. I was living in good conscience. But we know that he was wrong. Saul is proof that my conscience cannot always be a safe guide of what's right versus what's wrong. But in the same boat, I can't just ignore my conscience because Romans 14 says about eating, whoever doubts eating the things offered to idols, whoever doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And so sometimes the doubts that come up from my conscience, I need to listen to. Other times the doubts that come up from my conscience lie to me and I should ignore them. How do I know what's right? The bottom line is this. The law of God always supersedes the conviction of my heart. So I can listen to my conscience, but I should only listen to my conscience when it's guided and directed by the truth. By the truth of God's Word. So if our heart condemns us, John says at the end of verse 20, God is greater than our heart. He knows all things. So sometimes my heart condemns me. I need to reel it in by the truth and let it know, hey, I'm doing what God says. Sometimes my heart lets me do whatever I want and I need to reel it in and say, no, 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 I need to do what God says. I shouldn't always listen to my heart. The only time I should rely on my heart is when it is guided by the truth, when the truth is the standard by which I live. And so in 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 20, John tells us that as a result of the compassion I have as a Christian, I can be assured before God. I can know that I'm a Christian. I can have assurance because I'm fulfilling the commands of God. And I should let that confidence of my heart rest in the hands of God and trust Him that if I obey His word, I will have a home with Him for eternity and I will be with Him. So the first blessing that comes from my Christian compassion is assurance. Secondly, the next blessing that we read about in verses 21 and 22, John begins by saying that I can have the assurance that I am saved. I can have assurance that I'm a Christian, that I'm a child of God, which is probably a question you've asked. How do I know that I'm saved? Well, one of the ways I know I'm saved is by obedience to God. But not only that... There is another blessing that comes from living my life out in compassionate Christianity, and it is in comparison to my prayers. So the first one is that I can have assurance that I'm a Christian, but the second is that I can know my prayers are being heard and answered. Verses 21 and 22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. A person that obeys God in deed and in truth, and they're compassionate to others, is not condemned by their heart. On the contrary, their conscience will give them those great feelings of joy and assurance with peace, knowing that I am a child of God. So John says, Let us not love in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this, we will know that we're of the truth, and our hearts will be assured before Him. He says here in verse 21, 
that we can have confidence that when our heart doesn't condemn us, when I'm living the way that God has asked me to, and I can be confident before God, our heart has confidence. That word confidence means boldness or sometimes freedom of speech. One scholar said it's, it's like the confidence that a child has when they come to their father with a question, confidence that he'll answer, confidence that he can come before him and ask him anything he needs. It's a boldness, a confidence. And so when we talk about our conscience, right, our heart, our spiritual heart, the conscience that God has given us, it shouldn't always be about the friction of sin. Yes, my conscience tells me what I'm doing wrong, but my conscience should also be tied to my faithfulness. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, notice, holding faith and a good conscience. Holding faith and a good conscience. A conscience that is tempered by God's Word, it helps me know that my righteous conduct is right before God and I can keep fighting the good fight of faith. The reality is that God wants us as children to live and die with confidence. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, notice about our prayers. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance or confidence of faith. Hebrews 4 and verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. You and I can have confidence in our prayers to God if we are living a compassionate Christian life. A compassionate Christian life. How often have you thought that your prayers were directly tied to how you treated other people? How often have we realized that our prayers have a great effect on, or our, our prayers are greatly affected by the way we're living our Christian life. I think this is something that the religious world as a whole needs to understand. Our prayers are greatly affected by our actions. And so he says, if our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence before God. We want that confidence before God. Okay? Notice what he says in verse 22. And whatever we ask, notice how he connects this with prayer. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. When we love other people and show the compassion that Christianity demands, the mirroring of the life of Jesus, when we have that in our life, it gives us confidence towards God. And confidence towards God gives us a boldness when we pray. I can have confidence when I pray to God because of the way that I'm living my life. Our confident fellowship with God is accompanied by the guarantee of our answered prayers. This confidence comes when I know that I am a child of God, the assurance, and I know that God will act on my prayers. 1 John 5, 14-15. This is the confidence that we have towards Him. Notice, this word confidence, again, is an important word in the book of 1 John. This is the confidence that we have toward Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. A believer's relationship to his brethren cannot be divorced from the prayer life that he has to God. The way I treat others has a direct effect 
on the answering of my prayers. 1 John 3. The way that I live in relation to God Himself has a great effect on my prayers. How, how many of us knew that the way that my relationships react in this life, the way I treat others, the way I love others, the compassion I have as a Christian, how many of us knew that that had such a great effect on my prayer life? It's in 1 Peter chapter 3 that Peter further introduces prayer into relationships when he says that husbands, the way you treat your wife has an effect on your prayers. Man, that's, that, I, I think that is a thing that we should greatly consider. The way I talk to others and the way I treat others has a great effect on the way I talk to God. He says that uh, we can have this confidence. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because he keeps his command, we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Tied to the avenue of prayer is the contingency that I'm going to be faithful to God. We delight ourselves in the Lord and His commandments. Our prayers are answered. Psalm 37 and verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Notice that John directly in this passage ties obedience to answered prayers. Folks, prayer is not just something for any old person in this world. Prayer is a spiritual blessing reserved for those that are in Christ. Prayer is not something that God created for any old man. Prayer is a blessing of being in Christ. And it is directly tied to my obedience to Christ. If I want my prayers to be answered, the Bible tells me a number of different things. For instance, my prayers are not answered if I'm not in Christ. John 15 and verse 7, Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Prayer is a spiritual blessing that I have when I'm in Christ. My prayers must be in harmony with God's will. 1 John 5 and verse 14. We know that we can have this confidence, right? We know we have confidence when we pray things according to His will. We know that God's going to answer us. Not only that, James 1 verses 6 and 7 says that I must pray in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. My prayer must be in the name of Jesus. John 14. I must have the practice of righteousness in my life. 1 Peter 3 and verse 12 says that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their prayers. God's ear is only open to the prayers of the righteous. His ear is not open to the prayer of those who do evil. In fact, it says in that passage that His face is against those who do evil. And I need to pray with the right motive. James chapter 4 and verse 3, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. God wants us to be obedient to Him. And by being obedient to Him, I'm going to have love for one another. I'm going to show that Christian compassion that He talks about in verses 16 and 17. That Jesus looked down on us and He saw we had a need. And in that need, He gave His life to save us. He says, if you don't meet the needs of your brethren, how can God's love abide in you? And so when I show that Christian compassion, 1 John chapter 3 says I have two blessings. Number one, I have the blessing of knowing that I'm a Christian. Number two, I have the blessing of my prayers being answered. Have you been living a life of Christian compassion? If not, I would encourage you to start now because the way we treat others has a great effect on the soul that I have. Let's end with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for this time to study. Help us to always be compassionate. Help us to show the love of Christ to others and understand that the way that I treat others has a great effect on my soul.
Thank you for the assurance you give us through this life of obedience. Help us to always lean on you in prayer and know that when we live and practice the things you ask of us, that you will answer our prayers. And so we, Lord, ask you at this time to answer our prayers now, that we pray for those who are suffering, that your will be done, and if if it be possible that they recover. We pray for all those of this congregation who may be suffering. Pray for all those who are essential personnel that are working so hard. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus, and it's through him we pray. Amen.